ManaDeprived.com is proud to present Top 8 Magic Podcast with Michael J. Flores and Brian David Marshall. Brought to your ears thanks to FaceToFaceGames.com. All right, everybody. <laughs> Brian David Marshall here with Magic the Gathering Hall of Fame for another episode of Top 8 Magic. And as we discussed on our last episode, we are going to talk about the deck lists that we know about for the grand finals coming up this weekend, probably taking place even as you're listening to this um, over the weekend. So we, we don't have all the deck lists, but we do have the metagame breakdown. And where, where was your number? We, we talked a little bit about it on the last episode of the over-under on the number of Omnaths. And, and, and what, was your, what was your number? So... After seeing everybody praising how diverse the field was and how fun Magic was and how, yeah, the deck was good, but, yeah, there were things you could do, (laughs) I moved my number down through all that skepticism to half the field, right, to to just over half the field. And the over came in with flying colors. We see (laughs) 23 players, so the final number was 92. Wow. and that was about where I set the over-under right when I saw the ban. Uh, the big difference is I would have expected a lot more of them to have Genesis Ultimatum and a lot less of them to have Lucky Clover than happened. I, I would right. not have anticipated this lopsided split. So the conclusion there is that Uro matters. Right. Uh, Uro was, in fact, important to the ramp deck, being able to stabilize the board, being able to just generally do something relevant, even though it didn't advance its central game plan, and losing it weakened that deck enough that people shifted to the Adventures version. Right. Uh, deck's still good. The deck is still tied for second most popular deck in the field because it's a very small field and four copies get you there. But So uh, we, have, we have six decks that are labeled as, labeled as distinct decks uh, here. So let's, uh, let's go through them. <laughs> All right, let me, let me ask you, though, you're coming into a tournament like this. This is something you've, you know, had experience with, you know, deck selection, uh, metagaming, you know, knowing that uh, a deck is the best deck. What does it take for you to not play the best deck here? Especially a card that most people felt was very likely to be banned, right? Like, this is a card that I think if you ask people, like, you know, you know, gun to your head, um, you have to correctly answer the question, will Omnath be banned in standard before it rotates? I think most people would say yes. We just got our answer, by the way. <laughs> in all seriousness, if Wizards wants to cause a real scandal, then on then on next then in a week from Monday they'll ban Lucky Clover. <laughs> right? And they'll say, well actually there are 23 decks with Omnav, but if you count, right, there were almost as many decks. There was, there was, you know, all these adventure decks. The adventure mechanic is the real problem. Mysteriously, the card from the newest set is not the issue. We just need to weaken it a bit, and we'll see. Because we got, we solved the ramp problem by banning Ura. We just need to solve the adventures problem by banning Clover. Not that work, but and it would cause a giant backlash. The players would be up in arms even if it worked. Right. As to how brazen that 
the finance was. So I would be very, very surprised if Omnip doesn't go. The question is, do you ban Clover? Right. Or some other card in the Avengers deck? I, 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 I mean, Clover. it was certainly, if you, if you listened to the discussion uh, from players who are just, you know, still grinding standard all the time, Clover was certainly one of the cards that people had on their sort of hit list. In addition to Omnath. In, in, in the Sperling sick of it style, right? We are very sick of it. Like we've, been, <laughs> we've been doing this for a long time. The deck rotated intact. Maybe it's a deck we can all handle. And it's not so bad. But I don't want to play against that deck for the next year. Right. Particularly. The, there's a lot of things that are fun to do in Standard. It's a real shame we don't get to do them. Right? Like It looks like there's a lot of potential out there. The problem being, as we've described in our conversations and our writing recently, next card up could just ruin everything again. Like maybe the fun is 10 cards deep, 20 cards deep. Maybe there is no fun because everything is like that or it couldn't compete in the first place. It's going to be a very difficult situation to figure out. But certainly I would say up until this field was revealed, things were going much better than I expected. But this field was about as bad as I did expect when I saw the Uru ban. Right? This is about what I expected to see. Right. I just figured rampant events would be flipped here, and you'd see about this set of distribution. Uh, and as for what it would take for me to play something that isn't the best deck, that answer is you have to beat the best deck knowing that the people who play the best deck are better at it than the players you're practicing against, have better tech than the players you're practicing against, and know how to win the mirror in ways you haven't thought about. So this is a mistake that I've made in the past. So uh, most recently, there was a Esper deck that was dominating a block constructed uh, tournament at a pro tour level that we were going to play in. And we found a Bant deck that beat the Esper deck, but we didn't understand the Esper deck was as good as it was, partly because we liked Bant more. And therefore, we didn't understand the expert players would be fighting each other and out to fight each other by any means necessary. But it turned out if you're putting a different control deck, those same cars hit you the same way they hit the mirror. So everyone we walked into in the winner's brackets was, you know, half a sideboard better than we expected. They just had all the tools. And so what we thought was our 50-50 matchup where we were better against everything else was actually just a nightmare. And we did not do well that weekend at all so you want to avoid making those mistakes so like you don't want to attack the best deck on its own terms unless you can go way over the top because the players who you face are the ones that win the mirror so they know how to win on those terms so you want to attack it somehow some other way in a way that you're confident you are far ahead if you think oh i'm faster than this deck well there are going to be versions that find a way to be faster than you think there always are that's the thing that's so insane to me about this is sometimes you could be faster than the Teamer Adventures deck. But now with Omnath just um, getting you this, like kind of like basically adding this additional card engine in that also is just a random Loxit and Hierarch gaining you for life, uh, possibly on multiple turns. Um, or worse. Or worse, yes. It's, it's just kind of exactly what this deck wanted 
Yes, like you would put Uro in these decks sometimes. And it was really awkward because the deck didn't want Uro, but Uro <laughs> gave you this same stabilization benefit, this same way to just get that much better, so you kind of considered playing it anyway. Omneth is just a much better card. The cost of the mana is so low because the pathways are ridiculous magic cards. Yeah, Let, let's, talk, let's, yeah. let's yeah. talk about Alan Wu's uh, four-color adventures deck. Um, not all the decks haven't been published yet, but some of the some people have shared their list, and people have been collecting that information and, and posting it. Uh, so um, let, let's take a look because this this deck. What's really interesting to me about it is almost how uninteresting it is. There's there's not a lot of uh, fine tuning going on here in this. I don't I don't mean that saying it's not a tuned deck, but I mean like. There's, you know, usually you'll see like a couple of really interesting choices, you know, based on knowing what the metagame is. But this this seems like pretty straightforward, like, you know, four by four, you know, we're just playing four of everything. Only two Lotus Cobra, um, two Brazen Borrowers and two Giant Killers. And then everything else in terms of creatures is just four, four Lucky Clovers, and then only three Escape to the Wilds. So the problem is, once you've decided that you are going to play Innkeeper right. and you are going to play Lucky Clover, the adventure creatures are so much better than everything else that now every card is fighting against Brazen Borrower and Giant Killer for those last few slots. And it's going to be incredibly hard. Lotus Cobra makes the cut to varying degrees in different lists. That's the big disagreement, basically. Right. Is... Who thinks Lotus Cobra is worth it? You have Beanstalk Giant to get a mana back. You have Fabled pa Passage to get a mana back. Here we only have three copies. And you have, of course, the basic land play. So it's going to average often more than one mana, significantly more than one mana per turn. But is that relevant in a world where a 2-1 isn't going to fight in any substantial way? And you might get bone crushed, you know, stomped on reasonably often. The game's where it counts. But there's a lot of different things. Like, if you go turn three Bone Crusher Giant, yeah, you'd rather Lucky Clover than Lotus Cobra. But Lotus Cobra lets you then play a two-mana spell. And you have a lot of them to have in addition to the Lotus Cobra. So there's a lot of ways for this to go well because of that. And, of course, you have Escape to the Wild to so get even more land plays. Giant Killer is interesting. You wouldn't think that with a shoestring of white mana, uh, Lotus Cobra <laughs> also is just very helpful for Omneth because your mana isn't that great. It's not like... You have that many ways to find the right lands, even with the pathways, so kind of nice to have a little boost. But Giant Killer with Lucky Clover can let you just sweep an entire board away in the mirror. Right. So my assumption is that and the fact that Raisin Borrower bounces a bunch of adventure creatures way too often, which then get cast again, makes a lot of players think, well, you know what? Maybe I'll just play Giant Killer instead, right, in addition to. Um, and, of course, you don't really have a sideboard. You this, is, this is what I was going to ask you about because in a field like th this sideboard plan, which uses Fay of Wishes, is really good against a very random field of decks, right? Like you just get to find the right puzzle piece. Sometimes you go get two, three cards at once out of your sideboard, you know, because you have lucky clovers in play. Uh, is 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 this? maybe a handicap against some of the other Omnath decks that get to actually have a sideboard plan? Uh, I just want to have a shout-out to the Fabled Passage being in the sideboard, so if you can <laughs> wish for it instead of Omnath, or to solve your mana problems to cast Omnath. Uh, that's just so... Like, that warms my heart. 
Right. Yeah, so well, much. I mean, Allen's Allen's great, right? Allen's a pro tour champion. He's he's so thoughtful and and such a uh, such a such a precise magic player. Which so. is something I've been toying with doing for a year, right? And for a while, I've been wondering why that isn't a thing, and now clearly it is a thing. I'm like, very very good. Uh, if anything, you know, it's interesting that there's so many basic lands. Right here, we have eleven basic lands when there's plenty of pathways to play. So the question is, how often do you actually feel like you're running out of basic lands? Because there's no other reason to play basic lands, right? Other than worrying about running out. Right, right. right. You don't. You want. You don't want. You want to keep your beanstalk beanstalk giants uh, flowing. Right. If you're searching out the fourth island of the fourth forest, doesn't actually do anything, right? For your deck's mana to not have access to that. So it's only a question of how many basics total, and are we worried about that? Uh, the other card that jumps out at me is I would have thought Genesis Ultimatum would make the sideboard. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Right, because right now the only just knockout blows are Escape to the Wilds and Ugin, both of which are interesting, but there are definitely going to be times when you're just going to have seven mana next turn, and you could have just cast Genesis Ultimatum, and it seems like it's just way better than everything else you could be doing. Right? We don't need to go full ramp, but why not go a little ramp? The other... um, so it's a shame we will miss it, as it were. <laughs> but that's fine. Uh, there are no cards that make me think, well, why is this here? Right? Like all these cards make perfect sense. It's just a matter of could we be doing better? Could we do even better? And again, the fourth escape for the wilds on the board, everything makes sense. You need to trim down. Uh, but the question is also is there any place I need to sideboard in any substantial way? in this type of field, right? There's no cards in the main deck other than Giant Killers, the one exception, where I think to myself, well, if this is a bad card, I got to get rid of this, right? The other 58 cards are just always good. So if Giant Killer is bad, you have to take two Giant Killers out of your deck and bring in two other cards. But you've got plenty of good value in the sideboard, right? No matter what your opponent is up to, you can bring something in. Presumably, you can bring in Mystical Dispute in that particular situation, which is why there's two copies of Mystical Dispute. Right. But you have plenty of choices. So yeah, this Mystical, week, Mystical Dispute is a card that, that could really shine this weekend. It's a great card. I'm sure it will shine this weekend. It shines a little less at open deck lists because your opponent knows when to play around it. But it also lets you bluff it, although right. it makes that tricky sometimes. And it's quite a good card. So looking at this list, this looks like within a card or two or three, this is the way, right? This is so clearly the way. So you have questions like how many many smashings can we play, given we have to play two mountains so that we can fetch up enough mana to cast smashing? How many smashings can we fit into our mana base? How many Lotus Cobras? How many Giant Killers? How many Borrowers? There really aren't other questions left. For these decks, right? Can you imagine cutting anything else? I'm turning the mana base a little bit, but like you know, tuning it up. Can you imagine any other changes? I can't. I I, I can't. I mean, like like you said, I mean, it, it's. I mean, it's gonna be a weird comparison, but it's sort of like when you talk about playing type one, how there's some block of cards that are just mandatory. They just go into your deck because. They're the very powerful things you're allowed to do in that format, or people will talk about this, or used to talk about it in Yu-Gi-Oh! too. And I think if you're playing a deck that is like Adventures, you're just 
there's a huge chunk of real estate that you're just cut off from playing around with. That's right. And here, I think the number of cards you're, you're, you're locked into is roughly 56. <laughs> Those two brazen borrowers aren't going anywhere, let's face it. You need some. Right. So it's the Lotus Cobras and Giant Killers that we can negotiate about. We have 3 1, we have 4 0, either one. But beyond that, and we can talk about how many smashes to play, I guess. But there's not any room to maneuver here. I do definitely miss. Like, there's a lot of matchups where Brazen Borrower is a very, very, very good card. If those matchups actually existed when you're playing Lucky Clover. Right? It's just the stability of having that card available makes me very sad to only have two copies. It sort of feels like you're opening yourself up right. in a number of ways. Allowing things that would otherwise be easy to answer be inconsistent to answer. Like, how often do you say, okay, as long as I have a third Brazen Borrower, I'm fine. Oh. Right? <laughs> Stuff like that. Uh, and here you never do, because they only have two. But even the sideboard, because we've had a year, and, and that's the hopeful story, right? The hopeful story is, well, we've had a year to learn how this deck works, minus Omnef, but it's very, very easy to add Omnef and cut the cards that people weren't sure they wanted, and otherwise do basically nothing besides improve the mana. So everything is very simple. So the question now becomes... Is the advantage of this deck enough because it's ahead in terms of just we've tuned it more? That other decks have the opportunity to catch up by tuning themselves more by aiming at this very fixed target? Because this deck's not going to change. Right. So let's let's talk about the people who've chosen to play the sort of redundantly named four-color Omnath deck. I, I don't know if it's redundantly named. Like, Black <laughs> has some things to offer you, right? Um, so let's take a look at Peter Glogowski's list. I mean, certainly, uh, again, another, uh, you know, just one of, one, of the, one of the best players in the game right now. One of the, the most uh, intriguing deck builders going into any event. Always excited to see what he ends up on. Um, and and he, he chose Four Color Omnath. And uh, I'm curious how you feel these decks... Um, square off against each other. And, you know, yeah, you can see, yeah. certainly thinking about the matchup, you, know, you see the thing that jumps out to me is those two confounding, confounding conundrums uh, yes. as the two enchantments in his list. So I think the first thing to note is Glogowski has a very clear style. I, I will be able to recognize which build is Glogowski's at this <laughs> point in these tournaments. More so almost than any other player. Because Glogowski's style is find the effect that I want and shove it in there, whatever it takes. <laughs> I just take the deck that's good, find the effect that I need, and sh find a way to shove it in there. And you see that right away, right? You're staring at confounding conundrum in the main. You also see this thing that I never would do as a player, which is, here's the card that I really want in the matchups I care about. I'm going to start two and sideboard zero. Right here, or often free. Or, I, I would never, ever, ever do anything like that. To me, it's more like start to sideboard to look for the third copy that's sort of acceptable that I can sideboard because I don't have enough. Right? I never want to, whereas a lot of players develop this philosophy of I'll just start, it's not, never too bad, so I'll start the number of copies I want and then we'll be done with it. But I mean, conundrum, drawing two conundrums is really awkward. I mean, it is a cantrip, but 
mana is of the essence. Time is of right. the essence in these matchups. So having two is a lot more than half as good as having four. So I definitely appreciate that dedication. I've always been skeptical of Mystical Dispute in these builds. Not that it's a bad card, but it's very hard to hold up three mana. Ever, basically. Don't you think that the target here is just being able to counter uh, an Omnath? The problem is that often they can choose to, they can do something else on the crucial turn if they can until they have the free mana available, or to force you to keep the mana up every turn because half their cards aren't blue. Right. And so it's very scary to me. You hold up the counter for Omnath, and they just drop the like Covert of Adventures or something instead. Okay. If they even had the Omnath to begin with. Because in a turn or two, maybe they had three mana, and now all I did was get you two net mana. Uh, doesn't mean it's a bad card, but in a deck that's so reliant on hitting critical mass and hitting critical speed, right? We're missing... So the other half of forcing the thing that you think you need into the deck by any means necessary is you have to make some cuts, right? But is going to cut cards loose that I would never cut loose. Such as? What, what, what do you feel is missing from this deck? The Dryad is missing from this deck. Okay. Right? That's the big glaring thing that's missing from this deck. Right? The Gryad gives you extra extra land plays. It fixes your color. It's very much adds to the velocity, in my experience, in ways that I'm very happy with. The other card that's missing, of course, is in the sideboard, it's Felidar Retreat. Right? And that was always a dispute. And this has been a choice. Retreats on the board. We've also sacrificed Bone Crusher Giant. Uh, but that makes perfect sense to me, right? Bone Crusher Giant does very, very little against the adventure deck besides spend two mana to kill an angel innkeeper. Which is a very good trade. I would happily spend my turn two in many cases killing an angel innkeeper. But the 4-3, if you're spending your time casting the same adventures they are, you're not winning. That's not where you want to be. You should have your hands full every turn. And so instead, we've got terrors of the peaks and kenriffs and a larger, a higher high end and some disputes to hold up and some conundrums to get our job done. But especially because Uro is now missing, right? It used to be, before the ban, you'd run Uro, but most people would also run the Dryad. So they had a lot of ways at three mana to accelerate. Here we've replaced Uro with Beanstalk Giant. So that's the other thing, right? Often Bogoski will play like a similar card to the card everybody plays that's Quirkily different, and you just like, that's what I want. In this case, it's Beanstalk Giant instead of Cultivate, which is what I assumed people would go to. But I definitely played Beanstalk Giant over Cultivate in these places, and being an untapped land instead of a tapped land could easily matter more than getting the land into your hand. Because once you get sufficiently far along, you just never really run out of land supply. So being able to get that land untapped when you have Lotus Cobra you know, will often mean you can cast a second fit, right? If you go second turn Lotus Cobra, third turn land Beanstalk Giant, I guess you back to three mana, you can get the second Beanstalk Giant. Uh, there isn't that much else at three here, but it also lets you hold up an, you can get an island and hold it up for Mystical Dispute, right? You can get a, a red source and spike something, spike field hazard. So there's definitely reasons to prefer it. I'm not a particular fan of Thundering Rebuke in general, in these lists, I think that to be they have the sideboard card, and exactly the kind of card that's weird to me to see two main no board. It's never been my approach. Right. Right. If I don't want more of this in the board, 
what am I doing? It's even weirder to see Bonecrusher Giant in the board and Thundering Rebuke in the main. Because Bonecrusher Giant is the card that's always okay. Right? It always will be at least a decent creature. And Thundering Rebuke is the card that says, maybe I am terrible. Right? Maybe I don't do anything. I might kill Omneth. Right. And be good. Right? I might do a lot of things. I'm probably good. But I might be really bad. So to me... That's a weird flex, right? right? If I had cards on the board, they'd be rebukes. Right. This, this, this really feels like everything is aiming at parts of the uh, of the Adventures deck, right? Like the Spike Field Hazards are there for the Innkeepers and the Lotus Cobras. Yes. And the Mystical the Disputes are there for the Omnaths. The Thundering Rebukes are there for the Omnaths. Um, right, and he's done a calculation and said, well, if I'm up against one of these decks... I don't have a slot to bring in more rebukes. I have the number of rebukes I want against the Adventurer's decks. Two. And I'm just main decking them already, so I want whatever I want for other reasons instead. So, I mean, how would you board this deck, right, against an Adventurer's build? Like, would you board it at all? Or is it just set up the way you want it? I mean, the the will have to be there for Adventures, right? Probably, but again, this is such a weird thing, right? I don't want a second card in my sideboard, my instinct. I want a card that will get the job done as cheaply and efficiently and punishingly as possible. I'm boring it in because I know there's a target, but this is a special weird semi-exception because they only have four targets in their entire deck. Right, so even when you bring it in for them, half the time they don't have a clover. And so there's some value in being able to get rid of this. Is the theory? I have to. I think that Ugin is also aimed in a similar direction. It might. Also, I mean, it's very good in the the actual ramp mirror. Ugin is a very very valuable card to clean up problems, and very 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 good, obviously, to put into play with Genesis Ultimate if you hit it. So, one of the responses is, well, this this deck is going to create incremental advantage. I'm going to play Ugin and clean up. Unfortunately, it doesn't kill Clover. Um, how do you feel about thirty lands in a deck? We'll need more. What's that? We'll need more, obviously. <laughs> you want more than 30? It's a little low. No, I mean, it's a joke because I always put more land in my decks, right? Yeah. And I don't know mana sources. <laughs> but also, it's a little low. It's pushing the... I, I, I'd like to sneak in a four spike field hazard here. You know, maybe... A, I don't know. Uh, but... It's probably enough, I would say. It's probably yeah. enough. It's like, like 26 you, you, dedicated land slots. Yeah, and 26, then, yeah, 26 is not very many, right? So Spike Field right. Hazard obviously is going to have spots where it's just a land and there's nothing you can do to make it a useful spell. But if a, if the majority of the field has Edgewall Innkeepers, it's not going to happen very often, right? You're, you're not going to feel like you're flooded. You're, you're happy to hold it for later. Uh, but Shadow Skull Smashing is definitely a, I'm happy to stick this around until it becomes good if I'm flooded. Right. Uh, interesting to see that the Smashing has become the go-to, uh, like, just optionality land for just the high end. Right. Like, I wasn't that impressed with it just because the rate is never that great. I was more interested in the seven drops across the board. But it looks like players disagree. Well, uh, that's probably a lot of that is a lot of the Dwelling Keepers running around. And a lot of sure. scopers that just die for three mana, and that's not that not that bad a rate. Uh, but we'll see. 
Uh, maybe it's just the theories. That's good enough, right? That's enough of a, a big thing to do. We don't need to go full full crazy, and we want to be able to do something at five and six mana. But uh, but I'm curious to see how that develops. So would, would, let me let me so let me ask you the the question though. Would you be happy if you know you you go to a tournament? You know people are going to be playing a lot of Omnath adventures, and you're like, shit, I don't have a deck. And someone's like, well, I've got I've got Lugowski's Omnath deck here. I'll hand it to you. Um, would you feel comfortable playing that deck into this field? I think you could do a lot worse. You could have a deck that doesn't have Omnath in it. <laughs> I, I think it's fine. It's The interesting thing is, Uro is the difference between this deck being two-thirds of the field and Adventures being two-thirds of the field with Omnath in it, right? And you have to ask the question, does the presence of Uro substantially change that matchup? And my answer is not really, right? Is Uro a substantially better card than Beanstalk Giant against Adventures? But by the way, by the way, can we talk about Beanstalk Giant in this deck? I've, I've rarely seen Beanstalk Giant outside of a Clover deck, right? You know, Cultivate is an option here. I've definitely toyed with it in Alan's old version of the Dennis Ultimatum deck for exactly this reason, right. even after I cut Clover. Right? I didn't think it was... Because you hit Terror of the Peaks with this, right, off of Dennis Ultimatum, stuff like that, you can do a lot of damage, you can do a lot of things. It makes yeah. a lot of sense to me. Genesis Ultimatuming into Terror of the Peaks and like an 11-11 Beanstalk Giant would be pretty sweet. <laughs> that is, in fact, the A plan, as far as I can tell. So you need it, right? The way this is set up, you kind of need Beanstalk Giant to give yourself enough punch, right? Because right. you, you're giving up Peladar Retreat. You need something to take its place in that sense. And I'm, I'm always sad to give up Peladar Retreat just because Peladar Retreat, yeah, it's easy mode, but I like easy mode. <laughs> I like just completely taking over the game with one card where your opponent just looks wait I'm just going to lose this one card my entire deck is not as good as this one card in the long run what, what you think, very close. so you have the Felidar retreats in the sideboard what do you think you bring them in against that's the thing I have no idea <laughs> right I, I assume it's for where you have slack in some sense right for places where you can afford to kind of meander, but you want to make sure to get it done because there's definitely a certain number of draws with these decks where they just don't have enough stuff that impacts, right? Or where you don't, maybe it's for when you don't need Terror of the Peaks in that sense, right? You don't, you just, like if you face a control deck, for example, Thought Hour Retreat becomes very, very, very good, right? Because it just, it's a card that they have to answer or the game just ends because you just get continuous advantage out of it. So it's a way to add more very solid threats, right? Continuous added threat to your deck, right? And may maybe he was expecting to see more of them. Maybe that's what, and maybe that's also where the uh, the wilts are hanging out in his board for. Yeah, you know, board, as, a, as a hedge against a card like that as well. The board seems a lot like I don't know what people are going to do. It's relatively new, but this covers a lot of bases. Uh, the weirdest card is Swift Response. I have no idea what Swift Response is supposed to be for. Right? Not that I don't know it's for creatures that attack you and you want to kill them. <laughs> but I have no idea where you say, I want swift response instead of thundering rebuke, and I still want swift response. 
Right? I can't think of the deck where this is the card you want. Right. Because right? against an Omnath-style deck, against these decks... So many creatures in the standard, you can't afford to wait until they tap. Right? They're doing stuff right away. And the timing's going to be awkward, right? You can't... You, you have to save, save the mana and then wait for it. It's kind of weird. But maybe, it, he, for whatever reason, he likes it. Random bluff. <laughs> yes. Ox of Agonus is also very weird to me. Right? I get sort of what the card is trying to do. But draw where is it? Cards. <laughs> well, get uh, draw three cards, but also get rid of your graveyard. Right? If, if you're... Oh, just, no, I mean, this is right. This is this is a great card against the rogues deck. Right, it, it's the best card for rogues to put into your yard while they're milling you infinite cards. It only costs you two mana to do. Yeah, right. But it's also going to be a thing you sometimes don't want to do, right? Because you have to discard your hand, and reasonably often you're sitting on death ultimatum, and the last thing you want to do is discard your hand. Whereas Arachner, or yeah, uh, what is it called? It's uh, yeah, chain, Arach we chain web Arachner. Chain web Arachner. That card is useful on turn one. And, like, you're happy to have it in your hand in some sense, right? And then when it dies, you can bring it back. You can bring it back without the opponent helping you out. Whereas the Ox, realistically, eight cards is not going to happen before the end of the game that often if your opponent isn't helping you. And if you draw it, it's five mana to do this. And it's not even the top end of your curve. So you have to, deal, you have to sort of get rid of all of your other stuff first. Right. So it's really, really awkward to draw this. So I'm very curious why this isn't a second chain web. Right. There's one chain over the board as well. It feels like a lot of spread it around, a lot of necklaces are open. So I don't want my opponent to know what I have. So I'm going to play a lot of different cards. Sure. And I definitely, back in the day, was the one who was diversifying cards and sideboards. For when we got scouted, for when the top eight came around, when people knew what was going on, I wanted to keep things guessing. But it was always a very marginal thing. Right? You had to be on the fence already between the options, or it wouldn't make sense for the most part. I'm also curious where we want Maze Mind Tome. Like, presumably we want it against controlling people, or where we just want to grind them out. But again, like it's confusing to me that this is our best option in that spot. I suppose your idea is you'll sneak it out for two mana and then you get to use, use it several times. But yeah, I don't know. To me, yeah. like that's a bad. To me, it's kind of a bad Philadelphia retreat. I, I am. I am. Uh, while not excited about Omnithix, I'm excited to see Peter play this one. I'm. I'm really curious to see how a lot of the, you know, odd little tweaks that he's made here and there and in the sideboard uh, play out for him. Because again, he is. I mean. Just one one of the best players in the game right now. I mean, ever and you know, and that's true of a lot of people in this tournament. Uh, but gonna be really curious to see. It'll how be that fun works. to watch. There'll be a lot. There'll be a lot of games where the tweaks do not matter at all. Like a lot of games where he gets run over or he runs someone over, and there is very little that anyone could do about it because that's the nature of the, the nature of the beast. Right. But we shall see. I definitely. If you told me that Honor Adventures did not win. This is the most, I think this is definitely my best guess for what happens otherwise is it turns out that four color Omneth is better in the, in the Omneth mirror would be the response or just, you know, one player happened to draw a path. Right. So when I look at it, the Avengers players 
have a lot of powerful stuff going on, but it's all gradual, right? It's all sort of this snowball that they slowly roll down the hill. Whereas the ramp deck is better at just doing gigantic stuff, right? At just being crazy, but the adventurer's deck can win like a normal deck, can defend like a normal deck, right? Or interfere. Whereas four-color Omnef, quote-unquote, uh, people can go under it much, much more easily. So in that spot, if the decks were equally good, you would expect four-color Omnef to win the to win the to win the head-to-head, right? Four-color Omnef is sort of sacrificing other places where it doesn't matter how big you go to go bigger. And generally, that go bigger wins these mirrors or pseudo mirrors, right? So. If this is not the right choice in this field, it means that Four Color Adventures is just completely down. Right. right. Because it's going to be, Four Color Adventures is going to be better against the other decks in the field than Four Color Omnef, assumption, by a significant amount. So Four Color Omnef is pro actually what I would choose to register right now if I was registering at the moment, even though the players disagreed in general for that reason. But, you know, also because it, it mirrors more the kind of thing I want to be playing right now. Sure. It's more fun for me, right? And I still value that. But, but, but then there were nine players, sweetie, who did not play any version of Omnath. <laughs> I mean, not uh, everyone likes winning, Brian. Some players <laughs> don't like winning. Um, num number, the, the next highest played deck is Rakdos Midrange. Four, four copies of Rectus mid-range, and most notably, I guess, uh, looking at the lists that have been uh, shared, is uh, Michael Jacob. Yeah, so I often see Michael Jacob play over the years. I was a teammate of his uh, at some point. Said, um, slash, I just... I've taken someone else, but yeah, I, I haven't been, but I've watched him play, and, you know... It's, I think his tweet sums it up. Pretending yeah. my standard adventure and Omnif matchup are fine. Yeah. Also pretending that turn three wins if Neoform are common. So we'll get to the Neoform deck in a bit. Um, Michael Jacobs is a solid player. You know, very good. I like him a lot. But I have no idea what he's thinking. Right? I, I understand what the Google Adventure players are thinking. I really do. Right? I just wouldn't be there. But I understand it. This deck, you look at it, and I, like we talked about before, I see two good cards, Kroxa and Channeler. And after that, I see a bunch of stuff. Right. This, this feels like so much, um, you know, we've, we've seen the, the Kroxa decks in Historic be, be these really, you know, high velocity decks that do a ton of actions and move cards between zones just constantly. And, and, and this feels really kind of like slow and plotting compare. I mean, and, and you know, it's called mid range. So yeah, that's accurate. So, so one thing to keep in mind, the Omnif decks in standard are kind of being played. The ramp version is being played. Not that differently by many players in historic. Which we'll, get, we'll see that in the second half of this broadcast, right? We move to Historic. Yeah. Whereas this deck is 
so much clunkier and slower and less 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 impressive than the Kroxa deck in Historic. Right? They are completely different animals. So what's what's the best case scenario here for this deck against Omnath Adventures? I don't know. Right? Like when you look at this list, is the plan like agonizing remorse to? So I so I. I, I spike field hazard your thing, right? And right. probably can play the spike field hazard more reliably than you can in, in some of the in multicolor decks. Uh, agonizing remorse you on turn two, and you know I guess you know kill you know Croxy you get another card out of your hand and then you know and then just try to keep you at bay with. You know, a couple of removal spells, maybe a rankle. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I, the plan I, is just grind them out, right? It's kill some things, discard some cards, land a channeler, start finding stuff, make some I mean, trades, no, bring back nothing, a Nothing here is really a two for one, right? Everything's just like. I mean, Timur calls the dead is like fill your yard and get some two twos and set up my crooks. Uh, okay. My magnetic ch channel or if left alone, just starts turning your cards into better cards and it's a but, four four. Sure, but that's, but, that's not what, but that's not what we expect magic cards to do right now, right? Like we expect a magic card to come into play and get us a card, or you know, let us play a land, or you know, it it, it does something when it comes into play, right? Like right now I play my magnetic channeler, you kill it, right? That's it's just a basic a pretty basic ordinary magic transaction. So I mean that's this deck just feels like it's 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 just playing at a different you know um a different game than than what everyone else is doing. You're a format behind. Right. I, I don't understand how you can look at this list and think this is where you want to be, right? Like, it's obviously not as good a deck as the Omnath Adventures deck, right? You just look at the Omnath Adventures deck, look at this deck. You're playing worse cards. You're playing with worse synergies. It's just not going to be as good. So you have to think that your matchup is somehow lining up really well, and I don't see that at all. I mean, do you see it at all? Uh, I don't. I don't see how it how it lines up. Uh, you know, I can see you doing a couple of things here and there on the early turns that, like I said, you know, kind of keep the game at parity, right? Like I use a card to get a card out of your hand. I play a card to kill one of your cards, right? We go back and forth, but eventually these decks just drown you, and and and, and this deck is just doggy paddling. To me, anyway. I mean, I, 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 I respect the hell out of Michael Jacob as a player and a deck designer, but man, I'm, I'm really not seeing how this deck um, is, is the weapon I want to run into that room wielding. Your opponents are playing Omnath and Escape from the Wilds and like Lucky Clovers, and yeah, like you don't go under them. No, right. there's basically no chance to go under them. You're just sort of hoping to outgrind them, but you're not going to. So, so yeah, I, I would say, you know, I'm bullish on the Omnia Framp decks. 
right? Like they have 12.5% of the field. On average, they'd make, put one person in the top eight. And I'd be more surprised by zero than two, right? Like right. I, I expect them to do pretty well. Right. You think, think 1.5 is a reasonable line, number yeah. top eight? Yeah, I mean, it's a bias and under, because obviously that's, that's a pretty aggressive slant for four, for four copies. But I expect those players to overperform in general. I think the Raptors mid-range players to underperform. I think this is a mistake, right? And I don't, I try to say that lightly, especially for players of this caliber, but. Of course. This just feels like such a bad deck, right? It's just, it's underpowered. And in general, if you, if you are apologizing in your announcement tweets, <laughs> right? Like my, Michael knows, he knows how bad this deck looks. And then here we are. And I would say, don't be here. You had a choice, right? You can, you, you have the you have the you have the money to craft other decks. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. But um, yeah, I don't get it. So that leaves a few other choices. Maybe we should just uh, do we have the two adventures list? Let's just check this out quickly uh, before we proceed, just because it's so similar to. Well, sure. So this is this is Gregor Kowalski's uh, list, right? The Teamer Adventures. Yeah. Which is a one of. And he basically is just playing the same deck, chose not to play Omnath to get more consistent mana, and is running three mystical disputes to counter their Omnath. Yep, with uh, a Balagid recovery as a random, I can afford an extra path land that doesn't provide color because my color is better. So he says, My hot take Omnath is too weak for. Standard and too strong for historic. Um, yeah, he's wrong. I mean, I don't know how else to put it, right? Like, it's still a good deck, right? The deck was good before. It's still good now. And yes, Mystical Dispute being available for Omneth is nice. In theory. It can work out. But this idea that Omneth costs you very much to play or that you won't get punished for not playing it by people who are just playing a better deck than you. I don't get it. And you're right. big. And so the big gain you make here is Lovestruck Beast over Omnath. Uh, they cut off. Did they cut Lovestruck Beast from their decks? Let's, let me check. It's weird. Like I might not have noticed, but like it's not normally, right. the, not normally a card you cut. Right. Oh, maybe, maybe not. I maybe I'm, I'm, they cut, I'm I mean, giant killer is gone. Omnath is gone. Right, no, that's the, oh yeah, Left Trick Beast is nowhere to be found in this list. Okay. <laughs> so, no, you're right. Uh, I just didn't occur to me that they've realized that nobody actually cares anymore, right? Nobody's <laughs> trying to kill you. You don't have to stop them from killing you anymore. You can just do stuff. Uh, yeah. I mean, we're too good for it. So yeah, he has Left Shark Beast. But again, the reason why nobody's playing Left Shark Beast is because in the battles of these adventure decks... It doesn't matter very much. Right? It just sort of dirtles around and attacks for five and then, like, gets giant killered or bounced or something or whatever. Yeah. Or, or just overridden by giant beanstalk giants or something. It just doesn't feel like a card that matters. So this is just, I want to get out of the way before we lost the train, but, yeah, I don't get it. Um, some good cards on the board. As always, you know, some cool choices, but I don't buy it. I just don't yeah. buy it. 
it's 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 going to be fascinating to watch and and just see um, how much I, I you know I mean what what would you even compare this to in terms of like eschewing like just the most powerful card obviously that the the best minds in the game feel the most powerful card in the format for better mana and a, a, you know a cleaner engine. You know what this. The metaphor that, that occurs to me off the top of my head is that the tournament, the first standard tournament with Jace the Mind Sculptor being legal. Okay. Where some players had four Jace the Mind Sculptors, some players had three, and some players had two. And the players who had four did substantially better than the players who had three, did substantially better than the players <laughs> who had two, because the card was absurd. <laughs> and general rules for, oh, it's a legendary four drop, didn't matter. Right, like obviously you just play Jace. And this feels like just not playing your good card because it's a little clunky, or you have this theory. Like, no, it's a good card. Good card's good, play it. Omnath yeah. better than all. Like it just is. So what what are the gruel adventures, Dex? So so this is this is legitimately just a different thing, right? Like this is not a variation. This is Remember how we used to just play this Gruel aggro deck? Well, we can still play that. So we're going to do that. And so one of the advantages is aggro decks often have to worry about flooding. So like, if anything, this deck list gets to play landfall and also just not flood when it doesn't want to. Right? Which is... So at first I thought, oh, the big benefit was going to be to ramp decks... They can play infinite lands in their deck and have optionality so they don't flood out. But it turns out those decks, yeah, it's good, but those decks basically just want to play all the lands they can every time anyway, so they just never use the spell. They almost never use the spell sides of those cards in my experience when I've been trying them. Right. And so here, maybe it's like, this is more important. I think, um, I'm looking at Luis Salvato. His new Mammoth right has been consistently impressive, right? I thought it was a good card. I didn't appreciate it properly when I was reviewing this deck. Which card? Because then do Mammoth, right? Yeah, that's, that's hard. card that makes this deck possible. Yeah. Right? It's a way to play a three-mana 5-5 five, five. you can slap an Evercleave on. <laughs> and it makes you able to play substantially less lands because it counts as a land. Right. Yeah, I've, I've had a lot of fun with Kazandu, Kazandu Mammoth in Mono Green where it lets you on turn four. You know, it's just another way to play a turn four uh, Great Henge when you hit your land drop. Right, that's the other sort of half of it, right? And Great Henge is in Autumn's board here. So I'm looking at Autumn's list. Oh, you're, you're looking at Autumn's list, okay. Because Autumn's the gold standard, right, at this point, uh, given the... Yeah. Given, who, given who's given the we could, we, we could pick for Mythic Champions here. I, I, I was scrolling up and came to uh, Salvato first, but that's, that's... Oh, Salvato also on it? Yeah, that's fair. Salvato's on it. Could be Salvato, certainly. Let's, let's see if there's any differences. Let me check out uh, Salvato's list as well. <laughs> looks the same. Yeah, yeah, they look they look very similar. No, it looks the same. Yeah. I think they might have worked together actually. Yeah, right? no, it looks look like the same list. So yeah. yeah. So I mean it all makes sense, right? So one surprise to me is that Stone Clear Serpent is good enough in Gruel and you want to be Gruel. Right, to me if Stone Clear Serpent is the best creature you can find in that slot. 
then I'm surprised that you need you you feel like it's worth running multiple colors almost because it's not <coughs> really taking advantage of your ability to play two colors very much. And you have Gem Razor, so you want to be able to. It's the best. It is the best thing to put Gem Razor on. It, it really is. It really is. So there's always that, but it is sort of counter to the whole Edgewall Innkeeper thing. Right, sort of a separate plan. The other card that I've always wondered about is Brushfire Elemental. It's really weird to me. I, it's, it is not a card I have loved. I've tried it in Standard. I, I don't even love it that much in Limited. Like, it seems to me like it's not the landfall creature I want. Like, how is this the game I want to play as opposed to the one drop? Right? I could get a landfall creature for one mana if I wanted it. And that lets me ideally just get in for six or eight over the course of the game as a one drop when you don't have that many good one drops. Right? We don't really want to let, drop a, a Heart's Desire on turn one if we can help it. We, we all know how disappointing that is. Innkeeper on turn one is fine, obviously, but you know, not something you want to rely upon. Turn one, Stone Color Serpent's deeply sad. You do a lot of options, but they're like all lousy, right? Pell Collector is deeply, deeply missed by all us mono green and red green players. Yeah. So. Oh. Also, just looking at this with the, you know, this is, it's just always interesting to me also to see like an edge keeper, edge wall innkeeper deck that then just has eight cards to, you know, eight adventure cards. Yeah, like Brushfire Elemental over Ribrock Knight, right? Which is the same slot. Right. So bizarre to me. Right, remember my night attacks for three. Burst fire elemental. You have four, you have six fetch lands, so it will attack for five sometimes. I guess the theory being I can attack for five. They can't they can't block up anything cheap. Right. You know, it gives you another place to put the cleave. You just want to make sure you can get to five or so to put the cleave on something and hit them for gruel smash. <laughs> I don't it know. is it is very gruel smash. It is very gruel smash. Uh, you know what card's not in this list? Questing Beast. Yeah, I, people were talking about that this week when they just decided that Questing Beast just just wasn't where the format was at. People sometimes just decide that cards are just not where the format's at, and in general, I don't believe them. Right? It's still an amazing card. I understand that to kill right now in that same way, and I understand that going up against Omneth is not how you want to play. But do you or do you not believe in the cleave? <laughs> right? It's the best cleave target. It always has been. In its own way. It wins games that way that you can't really win in other ways. It's really, really powerful. So I've always been skeptical of giving a card like that up. Yeah. So here we're, it here says we're, here that the, the, the decision was to play Gem Razor over Questing Beast. I do understand that those two do somewhat fight. Although I've been playing both of them together for a while, and it's been completely fine, believe me. No problem. But, yeah, this deck really has something specific in mind. All right. It's not yeah. only eight adventures. I I am skeptical. This is All the right. way. But so, so, talking about, speaking of skeptical, one rogue deck. Literally the roguest of rogues. I mean, an actual deck full of rogues, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, in, in the tournament, it has not been revealed who's playing it yet. 
Seth Manfield has tweeted images of the soaring thought thief, soaring thought thief, uh, and and basically implied that this is the deck he's going to be playing. There's one person playing it. Seth Manfield's deck isn't revealed yet. It feels like it's Seth. Given the majority of players' decks are in, it's Seth. Also, Seth does it. Seth is not one to do that as a fake. Like, it just doesn't fit his personality at all. Right. Right? Seth is reliable. If Seth says, this is what I'm doing, it's what he's doing. So, so uh, I, I pulled up, you know, a Demir Rogues deck guide from, you know, uh, you know, just to just to take a look at what a deck might look like. The card, the card that's impressed me going up against Rogues, which I play a, I've played a lot of. Rogues kind of feels like the um, the life game decks from Arena like a year ago, right? Like you, 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 or the or the red decks at various points, right? It feels like this deck that is pretty much, you know, a linear from the new set that almost feels pre-constructed in some ways. And when you sit down to play someone on Arena, when you're starting starting out on the ladder. Every other player is going to be playing this because they have it. It's really how it feels to me, right? I feel like one in, one out of every other player I play against is playing rogues. I almost want to apologize to the players who got misled into making these rares, right? Because there's a decent number of rares here that are bad. Twenty-nine yeah. rares, nine mythics in this deck that we're and they don't do anything, right? Like these are not the rares that you're looking for otherwise, to a large part. Right. So, so this, yeah. this deck looks to like drop a Thieves Guild Enforcer or two Thieves Guild Enforcers early, um, make put a lot of cards into your graveyard, make them into three twos, place you know flash in soaring thought thieves, have a wind robber with flying, and then ultimately Zareth San the Trickster with like its ninja ability is uh, what it's really looking to do, and then it's going to steal your Omnath or steal your Beanstalk Giant or uh, whatever it can it can try to get. I mean, that's the theory. It's, I mean, it's really nice when you bounce a Brazen Borrower with your Zareth Sand, right? There's a lot of, like, neat little... It's a neat little turn sequence, right? You know, bounce something, play my Brazen Borrower, attack, flash in Zareth Sand, you know, ooh, all sorts of wackiness. Um, it feels like it never quite sets up that way, but certainly, certainly is something that's on the table. Is that can do things? It can do things. Blood uh, Chief's thirst has impressed the hell out of me. That card is very, very good. Like, there's no missing words on that. That card is very, very good. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just a perfect card that scales to be basically whatever you need. At the right time, yeah. So, it's been it's been really good, really frustrating. Like, okay, what do they have? Today? Oh, yeah, of course they have that. Uh. Yeah, looking at this list, I guess my summaries would be one: I refuse to believe Venturous Gargoyle belongs in the sideboard, and not the main sure. card. I just haven't played with that card a lot. Like you find it, but I mean, I guess it's just who cares about power? That's not what we're about. We're about this weird thing that I've never liked. But mainly, I don't believe it. Like, Zareth is a good card, but this deck's so terrible. Like, these cards are so bad. 
It's just um, not where I want to be. And and look at what you're being against. And I understand you're trying to play the my stuff flies and I have all the control and I'm gonna like maneuver the game where I No you don't. <laughs> like again, I don't buy it. I mean Seth is one of those players who is always serious. Right? Seth does not mess around. So he thinks he's he thinks he has it. Right. right? He thinks that he has it. He thinks this is the right thing to do. Yeah, I'm really I'm really curious to see what his build his build looks like. We 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 haven't seen it yet. We're looking at like a sample list right now. You know, cards like Agadim's Awakening could be pretty sweet. Uh, Vantress Gargoyles in the main could be pretty sweet. Um, you know, there's obviously some mix of counter spells and you know targeted remo- you know hand disruption that you might want in the deck. You know, Drowning the Lock does a lot of work. Like, Drowning the Lock is one of the few good cards in the deck, right? Although, <laughs> the milling and the milling here isn't that reliable. But, a decent amount of it, you'll probably get it. I just... Yeah, I just am deeply skeptical of what I'm seeing here. We have 24 lands in this build, if you count all the things that are spells. So, yeah. we're pushing it a bit, but it's probably fine, I guess. But, yeah, no... All right, give me your give me your prediction for the composition of the top eight, uh, based on based on what we're looking at here. Now, obviously, this is going to be weird because historic is going to be a factor as well. But like, if you if you if you had to just maybe even just pick out a standard, looking at these lists, what what does your top eight look like right now? Thirty two omnis. Thirty two omnis. None. That would be my default. I mean, obviously, it's a two format system. I mean, you have multiple 32s you can hit, right? You could also hit 32 Lucky Clovers without hitting 32. Cruel Adventures doesn't have it, so you'd only be only be the one Tomorrow Adventures deck that helps you. Oh, okay. So it's unlikely. I would say, yeah, obviously it's not actually a favorite to make it to eight, but I'd be. I expect my actual expectation is seven, right? Based on there being two formats and not that many rounds any given tournament, right? And plenty of good players trying other stuff. What What's but the other deck you... Th- what, what would be the other deck you think would get in from the nine? Probably Grohl. It'd be the most likely. You but believe in the Cleave? I believe I believe in the Cleave somewhat. I, mean, I, I understand the Gruel Adventures players, right? I understand what Adam is thinking. I understand what Salvato is thinking. It doesn't mean that I agree with it, but I understand it just fine, right? Yeah, I can see but, playing that on the ladder. I can see doing well. I can see thinking, oh, this is pretty good, you know, solid. I don't want to play the endless mirrors. These players are going to, like, twist themselves into knots trying to win these mirrors, and I'm going to just ram through them because I believe in the cleave, and it'll be fine. And also, one of the, I mean, but yeah, I don't, I, I don't, Rector's Midrange, I think, is a mistake. It's going to do pretty poorly in my mind. And then Timur Adventures is just an unforced error. And, like, if Seth is playing rogues, let's figure something out. I would hope that we don't know. <laughs> and he has a lot of time. Right. It's still, it's still very early, right? I have played no games with rogues, and I've played not that many games against it because, you know, I've been taking mostly taking a break and sticking, you know, what games I do play, I'm taking the draft mostly. So, yeah. But let's, uh, we had a lot of format to talk about here. Yeah. So, historic, when last we left, um, 
we we hadn't seen this new set yet. Yeah. And uh, it's it's made a big impact. Meet the new boss, same as the other new boss. <laughs> I mean, how interesting! Gregor Kowalski plays doesn't play Omnath in in standard, but plays it in historic. That was his comment? Too good for you know, not good enough for standard. Too good for historic. So bizarre. I have definitely been that person in the past. Let's check out his list first. That seems like the place to start. <laughs> So one question I have had for a while is people playing Yasharim, right? Often in multiple, people often play multiple Yasharims in their main decks and sometimes up to four after board and only one planes. And I want to understand, don't you have to fetch the planes out to cast the Yasharim reasonably often? Then what do you get? Right? I've never played with these decks. So I don't know. I'm asking the obvious question that I don't understand, which is, don't you need a second place? Interesting. Not that you want it. Gentile Ultimatum makes it... It's, it's, the problem is that Gentile Ultimatum is really expensive to have a second place in some important sense, right? But like, if you're, this is your plan, are you accepting that sometimes it only gets one card and that's okay? Maybe that's, maybe that's fine, but a substantial portion of the time, right, you're going to have to Fabled Passage out the plane first or want to right i guess it's just too expensive to afford it and the card is good anyway so you play it but it's just something that always struck me as super weird but like look at the rest of it okay so we've got two fell retreats one ugin to clean up mirrors and other things one kenrith one oracle of moldaya which has to be like you know omnet heaven right oh yeah super sweet both cost four, so it's a little. I mean, it's a little weird to have you know Oracle and Yasharn, you know, sharing the four slot here. <laughs> but you know, slots are weird, right? Omnith is like the four, the four, the four drop that wants other four drops because it gives you four mana back and you can right. four drop. Like there's only one evolving wild, which seems like a little bit low. Like I've been very happy having multiples, although the number of basic lands in this deck is not high. Right, it's like three islands, two mountains, two forests. So the exact casting cost of Jess Ultimatum, and the one planes for Omnus. Man, so this it's... deck, this deck is like one Oko away from assembling the full Injustice Society of America. Right, you've got Kenrith the Returned King, you know, you know, main baddie in the Fires decks. You've got Uru Titan of Nature's Wrath, just like the main baddie, for however long. Omnath, the new baddie. It's uh, Explore, a, a notorious uh, tool of the baddies. Society of America? <laughs> right, just, just Society is just like, here are all of our most powerful superheroes who are completely unbalanced in any other context and want to put them together so that something can happen. I mean, this deck, this deck is like overwhelming. Escape to the Wilds. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just doing it all. Yeah, let's go exploring. What do you say? <laughs> why not? Why not? Random definite clarion in the main. There are three on the board in case we need help. It just it just raises the question of aren't my cards just better than every other card that they've printed in the last few years? I'm just printing all the best taking all the best cards and playing them. And the challenge is just can you go under me? So right. now, apology 
apologies for saying arboreal grazer should have been indexed last time because it's not legal and standard. But I get to ask the question here, right? <laughs> <laughs> you do get to ask the question here. I mean, I, th I think it's just, I mean, it's just too sidekicky for this deck. It's just not enough. I would have expected it to be the best sideboard card, if nothing else, against the aggro decks that are just their only speed matters. Because there are matchups where this deck is so overpowering of the opponents and what the opponent is trying to do that it's absurd. Right? You're bringing in cards like Clarion, and it's like, actually, I really, really want to make sure that I get to three mana as fast as possible. Start casting my stuff. Right. Like, so let's, let's just take a second, though, and just talk about the metagame here for Historic. Because while, while this, this deck is, you know, Omnath is, is definitely a deck, it's not as dominating a presence. Uh, no, as only, only one third of the field is playing Omnath Ramp and nobody is playing the Omnath Adventures deck because the Adventure cards are just a little slow. Right. Uh, number two is Joan Sacrifice. Seven players playing that. So just, do we even need to look at a list at this point? I don't think we do. I mean, we saw we saw a ton of Jun Sacrifice. They haven't put any new cards in the deck other than Pathways, right? I also don't think a Jun Sacrifice deck is... Uh, Christoph Prinz, who I think may have actually just played Jun Sacrifice at the tournament he qualified, you know, at the last uh, Pro Tour, whatever it was called. I think this is the deck he played. And uh, taking a quick look at his list, that doesn't seem like it's really. I think cheap. he just hit submit again. I, I, I don't remember board cards were being used before. There's probably some adjustments here, but it looks like nothing new. No passageways either, right? Just. I mean, there's only a few basic, right? There's only five basic lands, which are necessary for the passage to work. So, decision was, you know what? These other lands in the store are just better. Was the was the thought here? Uh, this deck needs, I guess, the theory access to all of its colors reliably throughout the game. It can't afford to just commit to its land only producing one color instead of two. So this person disagrees with me that these are the best the best dual lands in a while. We'd rather just have some shock lands. And if you, I guess the theory is if you and you're a three color and you're planning to play exactly three colors, then the chances of these land like dragon spell stomach coming into play. Untapped is very, very high. And thus, you'd rather have a lot of them so that, like, unless I'm completely screwed, I will have my color every turn for the entire game if I have to play a bunch of passageways. Yeah, I'm less, I won't get the come to the play tapped problem, but they also don't solve that problem. Like, they, don't, they don't count as basic lands to play, they don't count as land types to play the other lands, and I can get into a lot of trouble. I don't want to have to choose which color I want early in the game. Or it could just be, you know what? This deck worked. It's not obvious which is better. Why should I change it? The deck's great. Play it. Love my deck. Uh, I love what Luis Scott Vargas has done for this tournament. He has decided to come with four-color Omnath, I mean, four-color adventures for the standard portion, and then a different permutation of four colors for the historic format, playing four color mid range. I do like the name being a four color mid range, which is the mislead, right? <laughs> like, wrong. I, I might have called it wrong four colors, by the way, if I was naming the deck. 
Like you got the wrong four colors there. And this is the, this is the thing, right? You've got a, a deck that really wants to be like playing land forever. Two years Sharn's main, two years Sharn's board, no ultimatum, and still only one plant. Wow. Right? Which is to me like kind of weird. Like if I have four Yasharns, what happens if I draw two of them? Don't I want to get two planes? I mean, maybe it doesn't matter very much, but it's weird. It's only two forests. Or even run out of forests, too. You know, like it's basics, right? It's not just me. You know, basic forest and a basic planes. Right? If it got dual lands, that'd be another thing, but it doesn't. So I, 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 just, I guess I just don't understand why Yash- what is going on with these Yasharns, right? In terms of. I mean, it's it's just got to be the can't pay life or sacrifice non-land permanence. That That's is, really is so, somewhere, yeah. I mean, it's pretty, it's, I mean, again, Junk Sacrifice just had a, a pretty good run in Historic. I assume that the, the main attraction here is to mess up the Cat Oven decks. Yeah, I, I get that. I guess the theory being I don't really need all those lands. It's just kind of nice to play, like, land, make sure you get to land six for your Hydroid Crisis or something. So it's fine, <laughs> but... Yeah, I'd be a little nervous only two. I only be a little nervous only two basic forests, you know, yeah. because then I can run out of both. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It's but we're, we're missing the we're, we're looking at some trees and we couldn't see the forest, which is more I interesting. Do, I gotta tell you, I do find it very comforting to see Louis Scott Vargas playing in a big tournament and paying two GW four four four. Right, like oh, that's I mean, cool. You know, I mean, he he. His origin story revolves around Loxon and Hierarch. <laughs> yeah. So it's exciting to see him back where he back where he started here. I guess I'm looking at this list and Really? Like, how do you beat these ramp decks? Like, I, I mean, the, the, the answer I the answer that. is Nissa. It's always the answer is Nissa, right? That you just you just like you just this at least, you know, we talked about this in standard, right? Like at least you can go one for one. You can a thought seize you, I'll eliminate that, I'll essence scatter something, I'll ether gust you, oh maybe I'll get like a bigger return on an extinction event, you know, three of them here. And then I'm just gonna sit behind Nissa and just build up an army and destroy you. Yeah. Right, that has to be the plan. Just do the Nissa. Only three hydroid crisis, but I have Nissa Uru, and I'm just going to hope the Nissa Uru is good enough. Yeah. yeah. I mean, good luck with that. And I'm going to play Yasharn and go, boo, 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 and try to scare you away. I don't know. That's apparently. I mean, play Yasharn, I like got two extra cards. Right? I have a 4 4 and two lands. It's fine. It's like I, I kind of have an Omneth, right? Kind of, guys, guys. But yeah, it's a bunch of cards. Um, right. I mean, this is the kind of de- I mean, it's the kind of deck that Luis loves, right? Like, it's a bunch of cards. They're good. They're powerful. They uh, are flexible. There's six players playing this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's probably doing very well online. Look at this. It's a deck full of solid cards. Again, no path, no path, no pathways. But here, like again, like there aren't enough basic lands for me, right? There's like a dramatic shortage. So if you try to play four colors, yeah. I mean, for two color decks, pathways are great because you already know which color you already have. And now it's just a free action. And right. for decks that are splashing and off color, it's great because it's a free action. For decks that just have intensive color requirements, it's less than a free action. So I get it. 
But yeah, I just it's a bunch of stuff. <laughs> Solid deck, but definitely not where I'd want to be. Uh, I don't instinctively like its Omnif matchup at all. I like its matchup against John Sacrifice. Yeah, that seems like the place you want to be with this deck. Yeah, it seems like it can like trade off against some stuff and then just drop one of its four Yasharns, which are not that easy for these decks to kill. And then like they have to kill it. And then they're still behind. Like they still you still got the lands out of it. And then you know the game continues. You've got your thing and they've got their thing. But yeah, I'd be very, very not happy with the 34% Omnif ramp, would be my instinct. Obviously, yeah. be, if it's good against Omnif, then it's just the best deck, but like, I don't think that's true. I, I assume it's also good against the Neoform deck? Because of Yasharn? It's got Yasharn and Bossies. Yeah. So the combination of those two probably makes it good against Neoform. So that's, that's the next most played deck, three people playing it again, most notably Michael Jacob. Yep. Uh, so, t- talk to talk to me a little bit about this version this of Sphinx. Of, I, I like the addition of Sphinx of Foresight, which wasn't in the list I'd seen previously. Right. So that, that seems to me to be almost certainly worthwhile, uh, even though the body is unlikely to be that relevant. Uh, so, the question, one of the questions you want to ask that I, I'd ask is, should there be one five drop in this deck? For Neoform? Interesting. And there isn't. Probably shouldn't be, to be clear. There probably shouldn't be. But should there be? There was a, <laughs> there was a really powerful five. I, oh, there is. There's a Terror of the Peaks. I see it now. Yes. Okay. All right. He agrees with me. All okay. right. The Terror of the Peaks. So we can go all the way up. Um, and by, by the way, Tuck Tuck Rubble Fort. That's not getting, 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 yeah. getting some play here. Is that the version kills? Because. The version I saw previously just played a bunch of creatures and then attacked with them, right, with the rubble for it. But you can also just go straight up to the Terror of the Peaks and then kill people with coming to play damage. Right. During the turn, if you want to. That's another way to do it. Um, we're assuming readers know how this deck works, right? That, that they, you just chain lots and lots and lots of copies of your Neoform. And, and one of the big additions to this deck now is Seagate Stormcaller. Yes, that makes the deck actually work. Yeah. So you Seagate Storm, Stormcaller, you Neoform, the Neoform gets copied, you're off to the races, you copy over and over and over and over again. By the time you're done, they're dead. Right, you, use the, you play a bunch of creatures, these copies another creature, the Rubble Fort gives you haste, you attack, they die. So the problem is, if you don't have a Neoform, what are you even doing? Right, all of your cards are the worst. I think that's not a reasonable way to put it. Right, your cards do nothing. So many right. of your cards and, do nothing. And you're only playing three Neoforms main because you have one Neoform in your sideboard to um, to fan wishes for. Correct. Granted for. Which to me is another one of those like only three fan wishes really. If it's like this. Not starting the fourth one was so expensive. I think I want the full set, but it is really, really slow to use it this way, right? 
it's a small cost. I would fully support playing it. But the problem with it in these situations is if your plan when you keep your hand is to use it, so are you going to keep that hand? I'm sure you still play it. It's still much, much better than not playing it. But can you keep a hand of Falcon Awakening in this deck? Right? And nothing else in some important sense? My other worry is your turn one appears to be go. Right? Your turn one is pass. That doesn't leave you very much time to work out a lot of alternate sequencing plans. Right? At least play a Paradise Druid. And your turn three is set things up, and then turn four is win. It makes it, if you don't have it, just if you don't just have it all natural, that becomes your A plan. Nervous, very nervous. Yeah, I do. I do like the Sphinx of Foresight here, though. Like, if if that uh, you know is going to be such a big, you know, that uh, finding your neoform is so important, right? That's, right. It's really nice to have that extra little bit of uh, right. The difference, is, right? The difference is always is with the fires decks. You were much much better when you drew fires than when you didn't draw fires. But if you didn't draw fires, your deck wasn't that far behind other people, right? You still had a good, not a great deck. But you had a good deck. You had a deck that could play magic, and then eventually the fires would show up. Or alternatively, just you didn't draw fires, and you 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 have so much power in your deck that if you can get run over, you, you start to just churn things out. So you can definitely win a lot of games that way. This deck is not like that, right? Like, if you're in Historic, this deck's play a bunch of dudes plan, not going to work. Right? Straight up. Just straight up not going to work. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a fairly motley crew. That's a fair way of putting it. But, you know what? It looks like a blast. It's fun. So uh, the last three archetypes in Historic is the Rakdos uh, Arcanist list. We saw Salvato playing that uh, at the last event. Yeah, so it probably also has changed very little. It probably does for the Pathways. I'd be very surprised if it didn't. Let's see. I'm but curious if there's one. We don't think we have the list yet. No, that, that list hasn't been, been published. My guess is it's exactly the old list plus four Pathways. I don't think there's any cards that have been printed that are good enough that they belong in it. Right. It's a very, very tight deck, right? Like every card in that deck is doing lots and lots of work. So it's going to be very hard to break, free, break through into that deck. Yeah. Speaking of decks that haven't gotten a lot of uh, help uh, with the new set, um, Christopher Palmiotti playing Mono Red Goblins, the one remaining goblin player but i mean they do they do get the the spikes field ha uh, spike field hazard and the shatter skull smashing as additions yeah but, i'm but i i'm uh, yeah the the arcane tech probably also has some number of lands that are yeah going. uh I just, yeah. The, we just there skull. just isn't one there isn't one revealed yet yeah they probably have one more land and like a few of their lands do things like you know the the black one is probably what i'd want in that deck right the black one seems awesome but in any case, the Goblin deck, I'm actually kind of bullish on this. This seems like a good choice, right? I mean, it's one player. I mean, and, and, and so, so Christopher did manage to top 16 the last Pro Tour, I, I believe, playing this deck as well. Yeah, it's amazing 
the extent to which players just end up playing the same deck from tournament to tournament in these spots, and the extent to which doing well in the original tournament causes them to run it back, even though like they should be paying much more attention to how they deck did in general than how they did with the deck. Yeah, well, I, th- I think Christopher is vastly less experienced a tournament player than most of the rest of the field. I think the the last pro event was his first major. Right. I just and it makes sense to just dance the one that brought you in that yeah. situation because you, yeah. you actually know the deck very well. But I also point out maybe he was out of wild cards. You know, you don't know. It seems really good. Like I mean, it's 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 a an incredibly powerful deck that has, you know, you you I, I think you called the old Fires of Yavamaya decks the fix, right? Was that you who coined that? Yeah, I thought the fix was getting uh, sapling burst with the with the fires. Right. That was right. The fix. Yeah, I mean, and this deck feels like the fix too, right? Like when you when you land a turn three, Muxus, it just it you feel like you're doing the most broken thing in historic. Right. When I look at a field full of Omnif Ramp as the most popular deck, I think to myself, these Omnif Ramp decks are focused on going bigger. But it won't be in time. And, and they don't have a ton of interaction. Right. What are you going to do to me? Like, the Spikefield Hazards are gone. Their mana base is full of real lands now. So. Right. Spikefield Hazard would actually be great against this deck. Right? Yeah. Because you want to kill a Prospector early. Right. It kills a Prospector. It slows you down substantially, reasonably often. But without it, right, like. If you pull your thing off on turn four, right, which is a bit, which is not that hard to do, what is the chance you are a dead, b facing a board that can block you? <laughs> right. The answer I think is not that off. Right. Like these these four color decks are off the races by turn four more often than not, but they're not killing you. Nor are they gaining so much life you can't kill them. Right. Nor are they presenting a board that's so powerful that you can't attack into it. So I'm guessing that matchup's actually good. Yeah, I kind of I kind of like goblins in the face of this wave of, of four color mid range. Yeah, the, the problem or is four color omnath uses to jund. Right, we learned that. Right, it's bad against jund if the jund deck's doing the work. But again. That was from a tournament where everybody knew everybody was playing goblins and everyone did the work. Now no one's doing the work. Right. Or or the work they're doing is different, right? Like, I assume the Jund deck has had to make some uh, adjustments to account for the Omnath decks. Right. When I say doing the work, I mean they're doing different work, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. But they're not going to do this work. They're going to do its distinct work. And that's yeah. not... Right. And, like, you're going to form is completely different work, right, to do. Zoran's control is completely different work. Four color mid range is completely different work. And on that ramp is is its own world. So yeah, you, you pretty much have free reign. And I mean, there's only three decks that you know, there are three decks that really matter in kind of Neo Neostorm. Neostorm is probably you know, you don't interact that much with them. So it's a so you're you're a dog, but I'm not sure you're that big a dog. Right, they're a little bit faster, but you're more reliable. Probably don't want to be there, but it's not that bad. Yeah. Uh, four-color mid-range, 
I don't know. It's probably a normal game of Magic. Right? Not particularly one-sided. Yeah, I, I, like, I think I like four-color mid-range into the jaws of goblins. I, I think I, you too. But I thought, 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 thought Seize is so, is so powerful. Those yes, lists look pretty ready. You saw the Aether Gust Mane. You saw all that yeah. cool stuff. It's probably, probably good. So yeah, yeah, it's probably just that you're feasting on these Omnath Ramp decks. Comparatively. It's not like Christopher is, is shy about Omnath because he is playing four-color Omnath in the standard leg of the tournament. As you do. Right. So yeah. And then that leaves uh, one bank control list and two Azorius control lists. Is it two and two? I see two and one. Oh, two Azorius control. Yeah, yeah. I, I missed that. Okay. So we don't know what the bant list looks like yet because we, we don't have one here. I have one Azorius control list. Let's look at that. Yeah. Montserrat Ayenza. Ayenza. I'm not sure how you say his name, but... Gideon of the Trials. Oh, you know, I've played against this deck a fair amount on... Uh... Are you sure? I don't see the other half. Oh, no, no. I was looking for... I think we were just playing Gideon of the Trials for value. I don't think we're... We're, we're not doing it. Yeah, no, this is... <laughs> Yeah, I've I've played against a that's right that was more of a Jeskai deck that was uh, chance for glory getting you know the trials kind of nonsense. Yeah, we're we're just making we're just we're just playing this and like you have to commit to the board and then we wrath like we're not doing anything that weird. Yeah, as far as I can tell. And there's your Amirius calls, V. This is your I, I I I strongly skeptical that only one Amirius call is called for here. Like I would want more than one. Like to me, that's exactly where I want to be, right? But. Looking at this list, four pack negation is the big is the big headline news, right? Oh yeah. Like somebody decided that there are some cards that have to be stopped, and that's what we're doing. Getting the trials, I guess. Yeah, I was just gonna say getting the trials pack negation is pretty sweet. Uh, yeah, especially if you're tapping out for your big Moxus play right, or so whatever. Next, so this next plan is I'm going to play you the Trials. I'm going to zero. You can't kill him. I can counter spells for zero. And that's how my deck works. That's what my deck does. That's sweet. Yeah, it's scary, but it's sweet. <laughs> so I like the trick. Unfortunately, I don't really like the rest of it. I mean, it just... Yeah, I mean, this deck is basically looking to make you play off-curve, right? I have Sensor, I have Dwari Disruption, I have... Uh, Not that much you know, of it. Syncopates. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's more like it, it's trying to just survive. It's just trying to live another day and then win off of Narset and Teferi. Two main deck Graftaker's Cage. Two search for Ascanta, you know, just traditional to fairy five action. And based on my experiences with white loop control, I gotta say, no. No. You got worse, your opponents got better. This won't go well. So well, as as you look through the players who who we, we know what they're playing, what are the uh what are the pairs you like? I, I like Chris Palmiotti on Omnath and Mono Red Goblins. Yeah. I, I, 
I like that pairing a lot. I like um, Emma and Autumn uh, and Louise on Gruel Adventures into Four Color Omnath. I'm much more skeptical of Gruel than you are, obviously. I think Omnath's where, where you want to be in standard. But I could be wrong. And I just, I just cannot imagine that triumvirate of players choosing this weapon and not having um, a, a very compelling argument that this is the correct choice. I understand that. I've seen, yeah, there's a lot of players in this build you could say some more things about, obviously. Absolutely. Yeah, four card, these are all very reasonable choices. I would say in historic, I would want to be either four color midrange or omnith are the places where I'd be comfortable being. Or goblins. I, I think that the we have one player on goblins that player has chosen the what I think is the correct standard deck as well. But that player is definitely a huge experience deficit here in this tournament. Right? This player is in their first super event, right? Just played their first pro-level pro event. Right. And that's a really rough place to be in a field yes. like this. You're going to be nervous as hell, sitting at home, playing against these people, no matter who you are. Right. You don't have the experience. You don't know what... You, you, you're not used to this open... This, this high-level open deck list. Everyone knows what you think they think that you think all the time. Right. Thing that's going on. That just like... You suddenly get into this game and you realize suddenly you're playing a completely different game. Right? Like you just in the top eights of these tournaments, like back when we used to transform to that only on Sunday. And you just realize this game is completely different. I know, and I didn't practice for it at all. Right? I tried my best, and I know my deck inside and out, but this is just a completely different level. And the same thing happened to me in other games, too. You know, where you just, you show up to the, the World Championships or whatever, and you suddenly find out, oh, it's time to play this game for the first time. I've never played this game before. Right? I have played zero games Battletech until this tournament. I have played zero games through the ages until this tournament because I never had real opponents. Not right. Me. Oh, sure. Right. Sure, that, that, that dawning awareness of the level up moment, right? Right, and suddenly all of us are playing each other and none of us have really played that many games. So Many of us have not played any. But now we're here. All right. I, uh, I'm going to ask you to pick a winner. Based on the information we have, like Ken Yukihiro could come in and just like shock us here with with some some choices, um, but you know, Junior Ianaga, my nemesis. Uh, I'll definitely take the plus five thousand or whatever it would be on Palmani, right? Like you're gonna get odds taking Palmani because of the gap in the accomplishments and experience, right? And nobody knows how good Palmani is. Like Palmani might be just as good as all these other amazing players, or Palmani might not be. We don't know. Right. He is uh, uh, he is coincident, just weirdly, um, and I, I don't know him, but he is the nephew of a really good friend of mine oh, right. who is a, a comic book writer who writes Harley Quinn, Jimmy Palmiotti. So, very cool. Yeah, really, really bizarre. And I was like, hey, Jimmy, does you have, do you have a nephew who plays magic? He's like, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, you should 
you should check this out because he just won some money. <laughs> you know, so I mean, great job by him in his his first uh, in his first event. I, I'm going to pick Piotr. Piotr playing four color Omnath, uh, playing eight way. color. Well, we'll just call it eight color Omnath because he's, yeah, he's playing, playing the best deck times two. Like, just let's just do this. Why would you bother with anything else? It's seriously, why would you bother? I'm right here. And I he am. It. I am gonna pick a uh, Luis Scott Vargas. Always a solid choice. I mean, just a solid choice, just on yeah, pedigree, obviously. But I, I like Four Color Adventures a lot. I, I think it's a, a, a an amazing deck. I think it is an incredibly complex deck that drowns you. And I think he's someone who's going to be able to navigate that, just like all all the decisions that come with that deck quickly and, uh, you know, expediently, you know, redundantly there. But, uh, and I think I, I like the four color mid range deck in an oddball field, like historic. I strongly agree that these decks are very good fits for LSV. Yeah. Right. LSV is one of the best players ever. The decks fit him very well. He's a very good choice here. I will always just look for the thing that I think should succeed. To succeed, I guess, right? Like more than that. Um, and there's enough of an experience difference that I'm not comfortable taking Palmani until he uh, proves himself a bit more. Sure. But, uh, but definitely the should be cheap in betting markets if you can find one. I don't know of one, but if there is one uh, and you want to have some fun, right? Because we've been uh, like Cedric Phillips just went all like, I'm just tweeting out all my baseball bets. Like, yes, yeah. why hold back? And I'm kicking myself because, like, my program doesn't work in the playoffs because these games are being played in weird locations. And, like, I'd have to spend all this time to teach it where everything is to be able to tell if I agree with him or not. So, sure, whatever. Have your fun. But, but yeah, like, gambling's in vogue, right? You see these, you, you see the NFL sponsored by DraftKings. And you're just like, all right, we're doing this? We're doing this? All right. So now, like, it's not like, oh, my God, if we bet on, we bet on this, this game, it won't be legitimate. Now it's like we bet on this game... It, well, now we're a real sport. <laughs> so I welcome that change, at least. Yeah. By, by the way, just worth mentioning, uh, on the Luis Scott Vargas deck selection thing, uh, also Matt Nass and Ben Whites are both also doing um, the same the same pairs. Right, which increases your confidence that it's good choices. It also means, of course, that there'll be more anti-selection. Like, you, you do have to keep in mind, it's a short, small field, right? So if you oh, put my God. yeah. A bunch of, if you're 10% of the field is this exact pair. I mean, this is, this is the world championship, right? That's essentially yeah. what this is. It is. And, and you have to remember, in these tournaments, if you have a big field, if you have a big, if you have a big, a big team, you do actively select against your good matchups, right? You actively do train the field to beat you. By the end of it, and that can be a problem, right? So, well, cool. I'm excited to watch this, even though it's going to be uh, an omnathtacular event. Well, uh, you know, we my, we've never... yeah, my expectation is back when we were watching these Tamur reclamation decks play each other. That wasn't the best spectator sport right. in many ways, right? You, you could go deep into understanding exactly what everyone's decisions were and why they were doing them 
And the strategy was often very interesting if you had a lot of inside baseball. But right. honestly, I, I tried to watch those matches and I couldn't even stay awake for the most part after a while. Like once I once I cognitively decided I wasn't going to be playing these mirror matches for anything of value, that I just wasn't going to do it because I didn't have to in my life, my brain just couldn't keep engaged with the strategic questions necessary to make them interesting. Because there's nothing else interesting about those matches, right? What's interesting about those matches is these little decisions that are happening where the players are trying to exactly figure out these different possible lines and think ahead and do all these detailed things. I think that Omnif Adventures decks will look like much better spectator sport. I think oh, very, yeah, for sure. It'll be very fun to watch these players just, just drop haymakers on each other, right? Just like land blow after blow after blow. Turn after turn after turn and just go nuts on each other. Right. But yeah, but all, you know, in those matchups, both players should end up seeing a lot of their deck, get to make a lot of choices, get to do a lot of things. And I think you could see some some games that are, you know, when you get the, the highest level players in the feature match against each other, uh, see some stuff that might even be reminiscent of watching Strasky and PV play in Richmond. I mean, even, I think this is less, much less, like, subtle and, like, artisanal <laughs> than that. But I don't think there's room for that level of just chef's kiss that you got sure. in that match, like, on both sides, right? Right. I, I think that it's it's going to be much more straightforward. Doesn't mean that the good players won't win if there aren't a lot of good, in, more important decisions, but it just won't feel the same as that. I don't think. But we'll see. I could be wrong about that. I also really enjoy watching the just on that ramp deck play, as long as I don't have to watch it every single match. Right? Like when it's when it's a when it's a surprising thing, when it's a new thing, it's really fun to see. Yeah, I mean, I'm really, I'm really interested to watch Piotr play his list. I, I, I like your pick a lot. I'm, I'm still going to stick with my Luis pick, but uh, Piotr is just uh, impressed the heck out of me over the past two plus years of him playing Magic, and you know, uh, Canister is, uh, is going to be a fun one to watch. I'm uh, both standard and historic, even though he's playing, you know. The public enemy number one. Yeah, so like the, the amount to which I'm kind of excited to watch these matches, despite the field being as lopsided as it is, tells me there's a reasonably strong argument that Wizards actually made the right decision to only ban the one card initially, as long as they follow through, and if they had had the right messaging along with it, right? Right. If they had made the same decision to only ban Uro, but said, "Yeah, we probably shouldn't have even let Uru get to the published, let get to get to Zendikar. We should have just announced it was banned at the rotation or earlier because, well, we didn't have to suffer through that whole thing if we're going to ban Uro anyway. Because of course we had to ban Uro, and we think it's going to be pretty terrible, <laughs> pretty soon, reasonably often. But that's why they play the games, as they say." And we are here and we are ready. I think at the end it said, we are prepared to ban Omnath and or Clover within the next few weeks. And we are keeping, and we are putting them on our, on what used to be called the watch list. Right? That we know that we have a problem, potentially. Then I think that would have actually gone over pretty well, right. given the state of the format and what it looks like. Like I thought it would be so much worse 
in honesty, than we're seeing. And it's still bad, right? Like, it's just still not what you want to see. You do not want to see, you know, a field with six decks, one of which is just, I forgot to play the good card. So really five <laughs> decks, let's be honest. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, and one deck over 60% of the, you know, one deck almost two thirds of the field, the enough decks over 70%. Like a four color card should not be in 70% of the decks. That is not helping. That's actually, that's completely unprecedented. Right. It's it's one thing if this was just a good card, right? If Bonecrusher Giant was in like three quarters of the decks or even Gross Spiral, you like, yeah, okay. But like a card that this build around D and this do the worky, like, no. Although I think it's less do the worky than people think, right? I would be splashing Omneth Index much more than people might think. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, with a Lotus Cobra, it's it's not that hard to splash. And with Pathways, right? Like, right. you can use Pathways to splash at least one of the colors almost for free, and realistically, even two. So I would not be surprised if were they to try and cripple the main way we play Omnef, to see Omnef just popping up in the weirdest places. Yeah. Yeah, the other thing I'm really looking forward to seeing is just what Seth saw in the Rogues deck, if, if it's Seth, um, and, and what that deck looks like and how it matches up into this, you know, just mangler of a field here. So, but we'll yeah, we'll, uh, we we'll watch it. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll be watching. We'll be watching. Yeah. I uh, I'm sure we'll be commenting on Twitter and uh, all, all that good stuff. But I need to get this uploaded so we can get it up tonight. Uh, so I'm going to sign off here. Zvi, thank you so much. Uh, this has been Zvi Moshwitz, myself, Brian David Marshall for Top Eight Magic. Uh, enjoy the tournament this weekend. We'll talk to you soon.